What's up, y'all? Uh, before we get into today's episode, here's a little bit of context behind it. A while back, uh, Bfunk started a subscription service so you could view additional tutorials for all their classes and some extra content for about $20 a month. Recently, they released a hip-hop tutorial series being taught by Tanish Joshi, also known as uh, at Taniski on Instagram. He's a well-known street style dancer within the dancing community. Many dancers in the street style community were furious though about this whole situation because the information in the tutorials makes a lot of different street styles that aren't actually hip hop under the label of hip hop and not properly giving the background behind the dance, the culture, the techniques, and overall just having somebody who is not of the street style community helping out these tutorials all while selling this as part of a $20 per month subscription felt icky. So today we're talking to Castro, who is a well-known educator and dancer within the street style community who has taken B-Funk and Tanishk to task around this whole situation. Throughout this conversation, we draw a ton of parallels between how B-Funk has similarly done this with their barter tutorials and how they've profited off Punjabi culture without being from the community and not really properly teaching Bhangra either. We also just talk about cultural sharing and some ways the street style and Desi dance communities have dealt with similar controversies within our own respective communities. Uh, I'll pass it off to Nana from here. This is the Bhangra Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bhangra Podcast. Um, on this episode, we've got myself, Nana, and Umar and Ram are also here. You guys want to say hi quickly? Hi. What's <laughs> uh, up? It's Umar. And we have a guest with us today. Uh, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself quickly and say who you are, what you do, and what you're doing here? Uh, my name is David Castro. I am an educator in the street dance community. Um, I've been popping for 21 years now. And people bring issues to me that the scene needs to be resolved and I get it done, essentially. It's my job. For people who are listening who may know, may not know, one of the reasons that you are here is because of an Instagram video that you made that um, got a lot of attention and touches on a topic and a dance movement that a lot of us are super familiar with. Um, can you give us like, I know a lot of things have happened since you initially made that video, but can you give us like the TLDR on the video you made and why you made it? All right, so the video was to call out um, Tanish Joshi and make sure I'm saying his name right. Tanish Joshi, right? And um, I think it's Tanish Joshi, but Tanish, yeah, that's Tanish, that is the dancer. Yeah, yeah, and um, B Funk, just so I could have my ducks in a row because the moment I saw it, when I looked at his face, I was like, I've never seen you before, and there's no way that you're teaching at this level, and I don't know who you are. When I looked at B-Funk, it said they were in California. And I was like, yeah, there's no way that I don't know who you are. So I got all my ducks in a row and I went live to essentially discuss everything that was wrong. All the terminology that was wrong, um, why it was totally wrong, how many different examples I could give to show what this equals out to and how it affects the black and brown community, how it's been, how it's disrespectful to the black and brown community how it's disrespectful to living legitimate members of black and brown history and how it's disrespectful to the people passing on those teachings. You know, street dance are, is a legitimate culture. It's not just this ignorant hood pastime that society seems, sees as, as, as unorganized and doesn't have any value um, because street dance culture has effectively changed the face of entertainment for the entire United States. 
the culture in the United States is black culture. So when I'm looking at this, especially because he's a brown young man, it hurt me as a black and brown person. It was kind of just like, bro, <laughs> you know, it, fe it feels worse when it's your own people because it's like, as a man of color, how do you expect white people to respect our stuff if we don't respect our stuff? It hurts more when it's your own people that you expect it from people that's not you. Just like how the Western world has like abused yoga. Lord have mercy, right? So we expect that to happen from white folks. You know what I'm saying? We don't expect it from people of color. So when it happens, it's kind of just like, man, what the hell? Like, what, are, what am I supposed to do with this? So I gave him a tongue lashing, you know, uh, and, and not so many nice words, but I wasn't like totally disrespectful to him. It was really kind of like the, the tone was more disappointment because I could see that he was a person who had followers. But then when I found out later on was that it wasn't all what it seemed, at least on his end. Just so everyone kind of knows, like, I guess everyone here in this conversation knows what these videos are. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, B-Funk released a series of tutorials in Dance Fundamentals. They did one series that was presumably on Hip Hop Fundamentals, and it's a series of videos, each one meant to highlight a different technique, step, something like that. And they've got another series also covering Fundamentals of Bhangra, similarly covering a bunch of different steps, uh, Fundamentals, some routines, um, and they've released these uh, tutorials in tandem and there is a I believe it's like a 14 day free trial and then after that there is like a subscription based model or you can pay for the whole class but the point is that they release these videos behind a paywall and they're supposed to be teaching fundamentals which is a little bit different from what they've kind of been doing up till this point um, they've released a lot of videos and have gotten incredibly popular through a lot of their shorter dance routines that have really taken off on both YouTube and Instagram. So these videos, as far as I've been able to tell and from Umar, let me know, you guys also have seen a lot of their other Bhangra and B-Funk stuff. These were like a little different from what they have been putting out. Yeah, I would say, you know, I, I, I came to this late and I didn't see all of this and I was responding to it. And my first takeaway when I hear about someone teaching is, you know, you make that shift. It's a very intentional shift when you teach and you set up yourself as a teacher or like a guru, right? Or, or an astad, which means, you know, teacher in Punjabi. You are essentially saying you're almost like a master of your craft or there's, there's something that's given you the opportunity to teach. And I do think that's a major shift from just a from a class from a classroom setting like a fun hybrid classroom setting where it's not trying to be something more than just the class itself uh, and now you have an instance where you're taking kind of like an ownership or leadership of that so i always find it interesting when people do that because it's you know i've seen a lot of dance academies that teach you know classical dance like bharatanatyam which is you know indian classical dance or you know, Bhangra, and almost always it's built off the back of some level of success, whether it's success at a dance competition or it's success with graduating a certain number of students or it's success at, you know, art festivals or major performances. 
And so this does feel to me very different. Um, and I, I am candidly uh, pretty surprised at the shift because a lot of this education is also not just, it's not, I wouldn't say done freely, but it's a little bit more readily available than people realize, right, to get that kind of head start. So I, I don't know about you, Omar, what, I, what were your thoughts? Honestly, um, when this first started, all started happening, a friend of mine showed me um, Castro stuff. And at first, I was like, wait, what dance form is he talking about? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not really, I'm not really sure. Um, um, then, he, then my friend filled me in. I was like, ah, no, no. Like it's a, he, they released a hip-hop tutorial. And I guess when I was first hearing all this stuff and um, basically like not hearing a reply from B-Funk and all of them, kind of just honestly, and I think you alluded to this, Castro, it just kind of made me sad. Uh, in all honesty, uh, yeah. Um, I I wanted to just quickly go back to something Ron was saying earlier, which maybe we can all talk about. Um, Ron brought up this idea of like the authority to teach, right? And like deciding to you know hold a space for dancers. One of the things that B Funk's really been praised for a lot, which I think is pretty easy to get behind, is just holding a space for dancers, especially South Asian dancers, to just show up, have a community they can dance with, explore a whole bunch of different dance styles. Um. But there's a difference that Ram was alluding to between holding space for dancers and then making yourself an authority that is qualified to teach others, right? So, Castro, one of the things that you mentioned was that when you saw the videos, you immediately said, okay, I don't know who these people are, right? Yeah. Um, can you talk about, like, who is allowed to teach? Who knows enough? And, like, do they only know enough if we think they know enough? Or do they only know enough if we know who they are? Or, like, how do we... How do we decide who has the authority to teach? How do we evaluate someone's knowledge, someone's skill, and someone's potential contribution to the community? Well, that's a pretty loaded question. How do you know who's qualified to teach? I mean, you 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 pretty much answer, answered it, but at the same time, it's, it's pretty open-ended, right? So the way it works in the street dance community is you have to be uh, a participant, first and foremost. You can't just show up from another community and be like, I like this. I'm going to take this class. Oh, I can teach this. And then you don't know. There's What you have to understand is that it's about culture, right? The culture is built by the community. The community is filled up of the people who make up the culture. The styles exist because of the culture. So if you're not part of the culture, first and foremost, it's harder for you to get in a position to become a teacher. And you become a teacher essentially by not only participating, but growing in skill and then getting recognized with someone as skill, but then being respected by everyone when you speak. There's, there's an issue in every community where people talk, but they really don't understand. Um, and a lot of people listen to respond. They don't listen to understand. And the people who listen to respond end up in these positions of being teachers and you can tell that they're not really qualified because of not just what they talk about in class, but the results that show up in their students. So a good way to measure it is, is this person highly skilled at the dance? Can this person talk about the dance and it makes sense? Um, can this talk person talk to the elders in the community, not as a teacher-student level, but as a peer? I did a live stream on should you be teaching and I asked a very specific question. I said, if you went into a classroom full of your peers because you're calling yourself an educator, 
right? It's not your friends. It's not the people in the scene. It's not uh, the fans or the people who make montages of you on YouTube and think you're amazing. If you sat in a room full of other educators and you had to teach your class to them, would they tell you you know what you're talking about or they tell you to be quiet? That's kind of the, the, the rule of thumb. Am I respected enough by other educators to teach? For me, I got into the position of teaching because people asked me to teach. And I made mistakes along the way because teaching is a learned skill. And unfortunately, in street dance, which doesn't exist at this moment, but there are things happening behind the scenes where this will become a thing, where there's no formal societal education for this. Right. You can get a dance degree, but it's also in only in white classically trained dances. It's not in any brown dance. That's really, really similar to what happens in a lot of South Asian dances. Like there are there are the more like classical canonized forms that Ram was alluding to earlier, like, you know, Gatak and Bharatnatyam. But then you also have Bhangra, which is like a folk dance. Literally, by definition, it is not. That's that's culture and it should be protected as culture. And people don't. Right. Um, So you have this we have this issue in the black community where we get pissed off when somebody goes, this is commercial hip hop. And we go, that doesn't exist because there's no commercial ballet. There's no commercial contemporary. Why do we have to have a commercial version of our of our thing to make it valuable? It doesn't make sense. And we know that that comes through white supremacy. We don't have to go down that rabbit hole. But these things are coming where society will have credited courses in street dance and they will be in legitimate education in middle school, high school and university. This will effectively change the the scope of art and provide jobs in the black and brown community all throughout the United States for us to survive on the stuff that built this country. I just no, I just kind of want to go back to what you said earlier because one thing I like, I'm so I like I wrote like basically my thoughts on a blog recently, and one thing as I was writing and thinking about all this stuff was, I like. I really wanted to get away from like when I was younger and I was learning Bhangra from like various different people and there's a various different styles and approaches to doing Bhangra. There's no like quote unquote right way. There's no, the, the in, in the, in the, in the Bhangra circuit, it's like folk. Are you doing it folk? Mm-hmm. Is it proper? Is it fo- like, that is kind of the term that's used. And it, it like, I, one thing I was getting, wanted to like not sound like, or like the folks, um, that would say like, nah, man, that's you know, the way you are doing it. You're doing it wrong. You're like, you're doing it incorrectly and like, or quote unquote, what they'd say, that's not folk enough. You're not like, and it's, and I was really, when I was looking and thinking about all, all the stuff around B-Funk, I was really trying to say like, am I just being the asshole who is just like gatekeeping the dance? Because it is a people's dance. It is, it's like, uh, again, the, the term is like look notch, a people's dance. And I think what you said right there was just like, but at the same time, you know, like you can look at them and very objectively say like, man, like it, it, the form's not up to snuff. Like there are just like certain things like posture. Yeah, like their their way stuff. of dancing, like to catch earlier point, like their way of dancing doesn't come from the community. They have decided their own way of doing it, which is, that's their prerogative. And I think like, yes, as Bunger dancers, we hesitate to really jump in and say like, this is right, this is wrong. There's only one way to do Bunger, but... I well, think- actually, I would I, I would say like as bunger dancers, like generally the community is really, really, really loves to say that. Yeah, shit. yeah, we're trying to we're trying to be better, but yeah, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think it is an interesting point. Like, does your dancing and does your education and does your knowledge come from the community that you're trying to teach the dance style of? Well, it's there's a thing 
that Castro was talking about that I think is very much lost in a lot of when you when you start commercializing and teaching it, right? Which is what is the essence of the dance, right? Like because Castro, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but my like when I hear you talking about it, it's kind of like a more of a celebratory feel. Like popping and street dance does not come out of right like a like a stage performance. It's it's kind of like the house parties or the vibes where you're just you're dancing and you're kind of on the same wavelength, right? And it just becomes like an expression of art, which is in a lot of ways is like at, sometimes people lose the root of Bhangra too, right? We have the dance circuit, we have a dance community, but it is a celebration of like a successful harvest. That's what Bhangra was. It was the dance you did after like you just got in a bunch of grain and that's fantastic. You want to have a party about it. And that's, and in a lot of ways, people lose sight of like the, the movements that come out of celebrating. Yeah, it's right? a primarily it's a, a social dance at its root, despite the fact that we have really, really drilled down on the making it competitive, making it formalized, having these like teams, these routines that are a set length of time, this music that has to be a certain way. Like it is at its root, a community dance that was a informal expression of joy, like in its beginning. That's exactly what street dance was. The people who started our dances were children in the hood. They weren't allowed to play sports in the 60s. You know, a lot of times with, with white kids, their integration was still very, very, very new. And so what you find is that just like our ancestors, indigenous, we dance to celebrate. Street dance is indigenous to the United States. It's not an African thing. It's not a, uh, uh, you know, any South American thing. It is black. Black is not African. Black is a specific term for the United States. These are our cultural indigenous dances that just so happen to become monetized and popular and consumed by the society that lives in this country and the people who run this country. Brown cultures and color cultures in general, even Asian cultures, whether it's South Asian or East Asian, have become consumables for the United States in one way or another. But our culture is the only culture where our traditional dances are consumed on the regular all the time by everyone for every purpose. Um, I want to go back to the funk itself and some of the original material that was in the video that you made, Castro. Um, I First of all, everyone should watch it because I don't want anyone to misinterpret anything we say in this like paraphrase conversation from what you said in your original video. So everyone should go ahead and watch that and get your original points there. Um, but I was wondering if you could just articulate for us a little bit about why, like specifically, what is culturally appropriative about B-Funk making those videos okay. and the way they did it? So very simply, what Tanish shared with me was that he was asked to do a private for one of the ladies that runs B-Funk. And he was like, oh. just to de just just to define what is a private. Uh, he was article. asked to do like a one on one class. Mm -hmm. I guess she, you know, he's a popular dude. He's got crap ton of followers. Right. And so with great power comes great responsibility and great popularity all at the same time. She asked him to teach um, her something. And he what I found out through him was that um, they were sponsoring his visa. To the United States. So it's kind of like whatever they ask him to do, he's going to do because they're the reason why he's in the country. So he's kind of like in this position where, you know, it didn't, it wasn't that way until this happened. 
Um, everything was hunky dory. So he goes and he teaches her whatever she's asking for. He's like, hey, like I'm not. He, he he literally told me like I don't know like everything about these things, but I'll give you what I know, you know, which is not it's not necessarily a bad thing because that's how we all start, right? So I can't even be mad at that. We all start as educators in that space, and one of the ladies, whoever he was teaching, she goes, oh, well you should do tutorials. We can just set this up. And he literally says, I'd rather do choreography. Like, I don't feel right doing this, but, you know, I can give you choreo. I can give you, I have all these pieces and stuff like that. And they're like, no, 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 no. It'll work because, and so here's the thing, South Asian people want to see a South Asian person. So that was their, their thing to him. And his thing was like, okay, well, I'm kind of broke. This doesn't feel right, but I, I need money and blah, blah, blah. So what I found out is he was not getting paid consistently on every subscription. He got a flat rate. And then everything that came in after that went straight to them. He didn't see a dime of it. So he got paid for his work making the videos. And, you know, my conversation with him, he was extremely apologetic. He was just mad at himself. And, like, you know, you can see somebody and they know, like, they don't have an out. But they're also like genuine. Like when I got on the phone with him and I looked yeah. at his face, he knew. He was like, bro, you don't have to say anything. Like I already know I fucked up. And I was like, okay, well, as long as we're on the same page, now let's talk about it. And you got to understand this is what you got to do to rectify it. But his position was like, I got to do what I, what I, what I got to do for them because they're the only way I can come back to the States. This is the only way I can be successful in my, you know, so he was a young kid who made a mistake who was really just trying to. And he, he's owned up to his mistake. And I don't, I don't, the, the street dance community doesn't have any issue with him now. Like nobody's mad at him. Everybody gets it. You, 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 you live and you learn, right? Sometimes you speak out of turn. I did it once. I, I taught a house class when I was younger because a, a, a choreo team by where I was living asked me to do it. And I was like, well, I'm not a house dance teacher. Like I know some things. They're like, no, 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 it's okay. And then years later down the, the line, Brian Green looked me dead in my eye and was like, I heard you taught a house class. I just put my head down and I was like, yeah, I fucked up. And I couldn't get away from it. But I've never done it since then. I've only been teaching popping because that is my bread and butter. You know, and I'm qualified by the people who literally started the dances. So it's not like I don't have, I'm not well within my right to do it. So his thing was like, oh, well, you know, I, I want to I wanna fix this. And I said, the only way to fix this is to refilm all of those things. They're probably not going to pay you again, but you're going to have to go back there. They can refilm all this and you can be in the video, but you got to be an assistant to whoever's actually qualified to teach. So I have, if I were to follow this like to its extreme logical conclusion, I think the question ends up being, are only black and brown people qualified to teach hip hop? No. Okay. So break down for us who is qualified to teach hip hop and how you can do it in a way that's not culturally appropriative if you're not black or brown. You have to put in the work and be recognized by the people from the community that are in the, the highest positions for them to say, yeah, you should be teaching. When I got back to New York City, I had already been teaching for about five or six years, seven years, maybe. And Buddha Stretch, the guy who started freestyle stand up hip hop, Stretch was like, you're the only one that should be teaching here. Now, mind you, <laughs> you got all these famous well-known name dancers from Asia and all these other places teaching. But it's kind of like, think about it like martial arts, right? I've been doing martial arts since I was four. 
but I've never put myself in a position to be an educator in martial arts. So I'm not qualified to teach because I didn't go out of my way to try to help or instruct people in martial arts, right? When you decide to be an educator, you're essentially taking on the responsibility of pushing the culture forward. If the people in the culture who are already doing that don't respect, again, the things that come out of your mouth, right? So you don't have to be black or brown. You just have to have, it's going to be harder if you're not <laughs> to get a, a really good grasp and understanding to do it right, right? But um, you can be good at the dance. That doesn't mean you understand the dance in a space where you can make other people's brains understand the dance. That's a different skill altogether, right? You got to go to school to get a degree to be a teacher. So how long have you been in this school of hard knocks, essentially, in the street dance community where you understand it to a level where, again, your peers and the people around you respect what comes out of your mouth? Are they willing to follow you? Are they willing to listen to you? Does that mean you're just charismatic and you're good with your words or you're actually intelligent? And so that's the, that's the gray area, but you don't have to be black or brown. You just need to be good enough essentially you have to be competent to demonstrate and what the things you have to say have to make sense so usually people who judge contests are also teachers because you essentially have to be the smartest person in the room in both those spaces that's it's actually like really interesting because this is like i mean the bunger community especially in the united states it's like it's really really young like the competitive circuit only really started in 2008 but even then like the growth of the circuit from like 2008 to 2012 and 2012 to 2016 is absurd and one conversation that come comes up a lot especially back so there's like this thing called btf and it's like uh like a forum that everybody like hopped on all the time it's like can a non-punjabi teach bhangra because you know it's a it's punjabi dance and so like i think nowadays i think it's kind of understood you don't have to and i think i like i like the way you said if you're respected amongst your peers if you can talk and you can teach other teachers, like you're probably like good enough to teach. I think that was succinctly a definition I had been looking for for a very long time on like, how does one say like, okay, you can teach. And, you know, you see like, I mean, Ram taught me, he's not Punjabi. Um, and Sid taught me, he's not Punjabi. And like you, you now kind of see plenty of non-Punjabis running like being able to like ha hold the respect of other people who are from the like quote unquote like originators and progenitors of the culture. Do you really have to have a deep seated relationship and love and understanding for the culture to have a strong connection to the dance? Like, so I had an issue um, with some kids from China. I was at an event in like January 2020 and I'm in New York. And I overhear some kids that have come to some sessions and been to some contests. And every time they would not win or make it to the finals, they would just leave. Their whole group would leave. And I said, I heard them talking about, oh, we're going to throw this contest and blah, blah, blah. But we're just going to invite our peoples and blah, blah. I said, why would you do that? They didn't think I was listening. I was like, why would you do that? And the kid was like, well, I'm Chinese and we don't have a lot of Chinese people here that pop. And so we don't want to get influenced by you guys. We just want to be with our own people. And I said, let me ask you a question. Now, again, I've been doing martial arts since I was four years old, right? So one of my favorite things from Kung Fu is the lion dance. It's one of the most beautiful expressions of art and dance in Chinese culture. But it's specifically in martial arts culture. It doesn't exist outside of that, right? So I said, what if I 
started teaching lion dance classes, had lion dance sessions, and then had a lion dance competition. But I didn't invite anybody from the actual culture. And then when you asked me, why would I do that? I would tell you, I don't want to be influenced by you. And the kid's eyes were just like, I was like, do you see how that sounds? Does that make sense to you? He was like, no. And I was like, we're not trying to influence you. We're trying to give you everything we have so you can be better. This is why there's so much separation and the definitions are messed up and there's so much cultural appropriation because people don't respect because they don't actually care or love the thing they say they love. It's just fast food for them. It's instant gratification. It makes me feel good, but I actually don't care about this thing to the level I should because if I did, I wouldn't be disrespecting the people who could literally give me everything I need to be the best in this actual thing. Yeah, you're raising a really interesting point that I think, like, again, a lot of bugger dancers have danced around, um, no pun intended, which uh, regards to, like, the difference between, like, gatekeeping and sharing and expanding the culture, right? Like, we do want more people to participate in everything that we're doing, as I'm sure is how you feel, Castro, about, you know, the dances. It's like, you, we want to be able to share it with as many people as possible. In our case, like, it doesn't have to be Punjabi people. It doesn't have to be South Asian dancers. We want as many people to participated and love it the way that the rest of the dancers love it at the same time there is that impulse that a lot of us have to like okay but we want it to be done quote unquote right right and so there's that constant balance between like are we gatekeeping or are we are we trying to and and are we doing that at the expense of sharing a culture with people that like we could be we could be bringing into this more um i mean you know there's a fine line in a gray area and it really depends on that fine line and gray area is either crossed or lived in by the individual that is not from the culture. Rice Ball, who's a world champion hip-hop dancer, who's damn near Buddha Stretch's son almost, right, has been with him since, and he was almost like 10 years old, 11 years old. And what Rice Ball told me is he didn't even care about dance when he was a kid. His sister was the dancer. She was going to like a locking class. He was like, I don't want to do this. But his, her parents made, his parents made him go. And he fell in love with it. And now he's one of the best hip-hop dancers on the planet. And he does it. He's one of the only people outside of the United States that actually does it right. He's not black at all. Full-on Japanese. I remember being on the train with him and a bunch of other Japanese kids. And I got off the, and they got off the train. And I had all these black people on the train looking at me like, why are you letting them act black? And I said, what do you mean, act black? Well, they're trying to, just, they're trying to act like they dance and they do it. I said, where are your kids? Are your kids in hip-hop class? They didn't have an answer. And I was like, oh, because he's in hip-hop class, and he's learning from black folks, and he's protecting yeah. black folks in his country. Like, what are you doing here? And you, you know what I'm saying? People, and that's another thing, like the entitlement, you also got to be aware of that. Because if you're not actually doing your part to respect and uphold the things from your own culture, you don't have a voice either. You don't just get a pass because you're black or brown for whatever your culture is. It doesn't work that way. It's called responsibility and accountability. And rice ball takes responsibility and accountability for himself and for hip-hop as a Japanese man in Japan. Nobody has an issue with him. What's fascinating is there was there was this guy that we did a, a podcast interview with. He's a professor. He's a white dude who went to India and he studied the dole, which is the instrument that is played for Bangla. And he studied that for like 20, 30 years and he wrote a book about it, right? But he's just, he literally went to India and he lived in those communities and his thing was like it's about like to your earlier point Castro which 
was like the foundation of dance and how it like accompanies the music that is around the times and the stuff that's being sung about. That's kind of what happened, right? Like he was, he was like different dances are done to different beats and different dull beats. And that became the foundation for like modern stage dancing. Right. And, and I look at it and I think about like, though it's like those kinds of stories and those kinds of historical perspectives, whether you agree with them or not, you should at least go out and, and try to, try to learn about the choices that were made. And if you're going to make a choice, understand, like, even if, if it's a choice to conform or if it's a choice to be different, it's at least a little bit more of an intentional and informed choice. It's not, it's not something in a vacuum, right? It's like you've, you need to know that, like, you've come from someplace and you're going to take this step and you're going to take this step for a reason. And this is the reason why you're going to do it, right? But, but at least be able to say, like, hey, I know so-and-so did it this way or I know so-and-so did this or this has happened. And we're going to do this, right? And this is the reason why. And I, I find, I feel very strongly that people don't take the time to at least explain why they made the choice to teach the class the way they taught it, or at least give some some background into those kinds of decision making, right? And to me, I, when it comes to like actually teaching a class, you should you should be able to recap and say like, hey, this is the reason why I did the thing that I did, right? And that becomes a thing for us, like on the bunker circuit, like not even just in classes, because again, like a lot of us experience dance in purely like the competitive scene, right? Like we join teams that are competitive, we go to competitions, that's where we hone our craft, that's where we get our feedback, all of that. And so, Ram, a lot of what you're talking about are the same conversations that like we're having as, you know, captains and judges as well after competitions. And, you know, when you're when you're sitting across the table from a captain who's like, hey, why didn't why don't we do better, right? You will often see judges give feedback along the lines of like well you had a segment that was i think a classic example that i know like Gundel uses all the time is you, know, you were doing mirza to the mall beat and if you don't know that those two things don't go together someone who is more informed someone who is more in touch with traditions and someone who does you know make decisions about set design from a place of intentionality like ram was just talking about they will know that you don't know your stuff. They will know that you didn't make a decision consciously. You made a decision that was not rooted in any sort of um, background knowledge about where this dance comes from. And so, like, it, it is a hundred percent true in classes. But then I know that, like, just saying, like, for for our scene, like, it's a thing that we come up against all the time when we're when we're competing and trying to come up with really coherent, cohesive uh, bungar sets and pieces of choreography. There's a, there's a really funny anecdote, actually. To this because I've danced for a really long time so I have these really funny anecdotes about songs you should dance to and songs you shouldn't which I think also ties into the cultural thing so there was this song way back when and no one danced to it and the reason no one danced to it is because this song it was called Amplifier this song was essentially comparing a woman to a car and using kind of like like the terminology translated into like driving a car and being with women, right? And if you were not Punjabi and you didn't understand the word, if you didn't understand, I think the context around it, you just weren't going to dance to this song for a while. And the song came out and people didn't dance to the song because they didn't think you could dance to the song. Um, and a lot of it also had to do with the fact that like I'm not Punjabi and like, a lot of the people on the team were not Punjabi. And so we're not going around, we're not listening to this song, right? Because we're not, this is not something we recreationally listen to. And then a team went out and did it. And this team was a Punjabi team. And I asked, I asked someone why. And it's because in, for, like in the Punjabi culture, which is the foundation of the dance, 
this song was being played at like all the weddings and everyone was having a great time and everyone was dancing to it and they were like we're gonna dance to it because this is like it's culturally relevant in that moment in that community and it's actually interesting because i had a i remember there would be parties that we'd have house parties when we were like the dancing house parties and we would play Punjabi banger music even though none of us could really understand it but we would like try to find the newest music and we'd play it and people were like why do you want to keep playing it I'm like because this is the stuff that who this is the stuff that people who are doing the dance and at the forefront of the innovation around the dance this is what they're listening to and ultimately if you want to get close to that you got to listen to it and you got to try to understand the stuff that they're they're going through and the mindset of it that you understand like how to actually innovate. And that was really interesting because we listened to a bunch of music that we barely understood, but it was like, it was like- It was your end. Closer. It was your end. It was, it, was it was to get closer to understanding the mindset for how people were approaching the dance. Word, yeah, we have a song like that um, called Joystick. Um, I don't remember if it's by the Daz Band or by the Barcade, but essentially <laughs> this guy is telling this girl that he will be her sex toy. Um, and there's all these term, there's all this terminology in the song that alludes to the type of sex toy he is, and it's hilarious if you sit and listen to the lyrics. But it's a pretty vulgar song if you understand everything. But at the same time, it's a bopping track because it's funk music. And if you don't listen to the lyrics, the song is fire because the music production is literally amazing. Like you can't tell unless you sit there and understand all these vocabulary words that they're using. That is essentially one of our party tracks. And it's funny you say songs you do and don't dance to because we have that issue in the competition situation that people think that everything is funk belongs in a contest. No, you can play it in the contest space, but everything has its place. There's songs that you only play in the cypher. There's songs you play when the jam first starts just to have a setting or mood for the people walking in the building. There's songs that you should only play during the prelims. And then there's songs that belong in battles. Everything else doesn't belong there can we talk about terminology quickly because you brought it up with like you just defined for us really nicely like what the word black means and what it doesn't mean yeah. um can we talk about the word hip-hop um and what it means and what it doesn't mean i think it would be really useful for two reasons one of which is bhangra dance and music gets uh like borrows from hip-hop music a lot i think like that's something that is not unique to Bunger, like you just said, like everyone does that. Um, but we we interact with that culture a lot, especially musically. Um, and one of the things that was really interesting in some of the conversations that actually we've had before this one right here is you broke down, um, I know some of my own misconceptions about like what is or isn't hip hop. So can you like try to define for us what is hip hop when it comes to like, what is hip hop music and what is hip hop dance? And are there firm lines around those things? Are they not? Like, what do you talk about when you say those things? Yes. So hip hop is essentially rhythm, rap and poetry, R&P, essentially. Um, rap is essentially poetry. Hip hop is the boom bap, the bounce, the rock, the skate, the roll. Um, that's the dance part of it. The first hip hop dance was actually breaking. Um, breaking was done to the breaks in funk songs, which people started rapping over um, at certain points. And that led into hip hop music. Hip hop music is poetry, essentially, to those type of beats, but not breaks. Hip hop has sampled plenty of funk music 
um, and hip hop dance is not popping. It's not locking. It's not house. All of these things are not hip hop. They have their own cultures, their own music, their own vocabularies and foundations, um, their own techniques and their own communities. Hip hop is very much just freestyle stand up hip hop dance that started in New York City and breaking. You have G-Funk, which is like West Coast hip-hop, where you get your Ice Cubes and your your, your Snoop Dogg and, and Easy e and all that, right? Um, and it still very much happens on the West Coast. But the stuff you hear on the radio today is, is not that. You post a lot on your Instagram stories that I've seen about um, highlighting videos that people say, like, okay, this is like a hip-hop video, this is a hip-hop class, this is a piece of hip-hop choreography, and... I would not know that it is not. And then I see you kind of highlight like, hey, this is not that. And it's really interesting because I feel like, especially I see it a lot in like South Asian dancers who post videos saying like, this is a blend of whatever dance style and like some hip hop or come learn like this piece of choreography that's got hip hop in it. It feels like hip hop's like a blanket term for for what? Like what is what is what do you see hip hop being used as a blanket term for when you know that it's all of these other like terminologies? What is the confusion that's like happening here? Hip hop has become the blanket term for everything that is fun and black. Because if you don't do that, then you have to actually give value and learn to understand what everything else is. And the way our society works, they don't want to do that for black folks. They can understand the monetary value, they don't want to understand the cultural and intrinsic value the emotional value, the cultural value. They don't want to give that actual societal value because if people understood that, the JLo's and the Neo's and all these other people wouldn't be on So You Think You Can Dance or World of Dance judging street dancers when they don't know anything about it. There is no umbrella for hip-hop, first and foremost, for, for hip-hop dance. That's not a thing. Hip-hop is only breaking and freestyle hip-hop. Okay, and we call it freestyle hip hop because it's an easy way to discern what is the difference between breaking and the stand up dance. Popping came from funk music. 1964, the music changed from the R&B and soul of the 60s to funk. So when the music changed, the dance changes. People went from doing boy band line dances and, and, and partner dancing to everybody's doing drugs and freaking out and shaking their bodies and jumping and gyrating and going nuts. This is how you get locking, popping and then breaking in the 80s, essentially. House comes from the gay community in Chicago. Vogue comes from the gay community. Whacking also comes from the gay community. Locking is done to disco, mainly disco and funk. Whacking is done to disco. Vogue is done to ballroom music. Popping is done to funk music. House is done to house music. Hip-hop is done to hip-hop music. Breaks is also done to hip-hop music, breaking or breaks which is song specifically made for breaking, which popping now has popping music. But funk built the dance, then the dance gave way to popping music. When we're in these spaces, the jams all work the same, essentially. The music's playing and the cypher will happen. So the cypher happens because we're sharing this energy. The battle space was created to establish dominance. So because we're animals and... There's testosterone flying back and forth. People want to establish. That's a natural thing. So dance, these dance events literally just describe what happens in nature, but through music. The, st the street dance community was built off ego and street dancers built crews 
and had friends that wore clothes and wanted to get good at dance because they wanted to get good to, to get girls. So that's biology. This is all very natural things that happen, but they just happen to happen in our community. And we decided to make definitions and, and, and have legitimate terms and have rules because we're not animals. That's what separate. I mean, we are human beings are animals, right? But this is what separates us from the rest of nature is our quote unquote civilization. Right. We're civilized. We're not barbaric in any way. But I think dancing is, is might be one of the most barbaric things that humans can do. B-Funk is really popular. B-Funk is like very, very popular. Um, I'm sure you've seen the numbers that they do. Um, and there's a lot of things about their success that are actually really cool to see. Like they're women of color that have made like their faces have been in like major ad campaigns and they're clearly very successful business women, which it's really hard to knock people for that. And I think, you know, I have a lot of respect for that. Um, but there are these issues that I think that you've, um, you've raised here, you've raised in some of the other conversations that we've had and content you've put out. Um, I'm just curious if there are other like movements out there that you feel like have gotten really successful and have co-opted street dance in a way that doesn't feel good. <laughs> this is uh yeah, I, I had it out with Masterclass, actually. Um, Masterclass is that big international platform for learning everything at the highest level with celebrities in every art form essentially, or the masters of every art form, teaching you a masterclass, a series of classes on how to be the best at this thing um paris goble she's a world world renowned i think she's the most most wealthy like well-paid choreographer on the planet and masterclass hit her up now she was very clear with them on what to and not to say but somebody in doing her interview decided well this is all hip-hop so i'm going to classify it as that i'm gonna put it on the website and I was doing a live feed with some of the OGs and they said, yeah, did you see that Paris Global Masterclass thing? And they just kind of said it in passing. But my brain was like, wait, 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 wait. What are you talking about? And they said, go look. So I went to look after the live feed and they were literally classifying what hip hop is and blah, 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 when it had nothing to do with what she was teaching. She was teaching choreography and performance art, street jazz, which hilariously only exists because of the OGs. I had it out with them. I sent emails. <laughs> I made a live feed. I tagged Paris. I tagged Masterclass. Paris saw it instantaneously. She reached out to me. We had plenty of conversations. She reached out to Masterclass. I spoke to Masterclass and emails. And they took it down. Because the entire community was like, you are not going to do this. You'll lose everything that you wanted because you decided to, to cross a line that didn't need to be crossed. And when people are asking you to apologize, now this is me speaking to the B-Funk ladies, you ignore it. What they have to understand is all of the things you've accomplished up to now, fine. And I, you know, I think it's beautiful that you were able to do that however you did that and, 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 and achieve what you've been able to achieve. But what you have to understand is that the community of your people are telling you to stop something that's going to affect your business at a certain point because these are the people that actually put the money in your pocket. If you're not going to listen to them, then you eventually lose the clientele. How do you have a business? You actually need them. So it's not about your ego. It's about doing the right thing because people let you do whatever you want to do as long as you don't hurt nobody. And it's really that easy. It's really that easy. Before we go, 
uh castro thank you so so much for um all the conversations that you've had with us prior to this one um I know I've learned so much from you in this time and appreciate you taking the time out literally hours at this point to walk us through some of what's gone on and your perspective on everything. And like you mentioned, despite the fact that it has been sort of a, yeah, despite the fact that it's been sort of like a contentious moment, the fact that we've all gotten to meet and have these conversations has been really, really wonderful. I really appreciate it. I mean, education is what I do. So, you know, I don't have an issue talking (laughs) because I literally do it all day long. I'm sitting in front of this iPad well, um, you are on a podcast with podcasters, so you're you're in, you're in good company there. <laughs> nice. Oh, but before before we go, just um, do you have anything you want to plug? Um, is there any like site or like socials like that you can drop for people who want to find you and see more of your stuff? Uh, yeah, you can just follow me at Castro Reg C A S T R O R E G um, on Instagram and the same tagline on the airtime app i have a room for um battle tactics and everything battle so i essentially explain and teach free classes every saturday at uh, 3 p.m eastern standard time that anybody can join the room it's a totally free app um and i explain why the dancers did this you know why this happened the decisions they made did it make sense did it not make sense is the music good why the judges made this decision or didn't make this decision yeah and i teach online classes um i'm actually going to be moving back to new york city um like mid-december or january ish um so there'll be in-person classes but i do online classes so you just hit my dms for those and i shoot you my rates and we pick a time and we get the schedule and we get it cracking all right rom that convo was dense as hell uh, what are we taking away from this? Well, one, it's fantastic to talk to Castro, who is super knowledgeable about the street style community, which is a whole circuit that has dealt with similar issues that we're dealing with now, because the Bunger circuit as a whole is a lot younger and a lot newer. Yeah, honestly, it's it's it's, it's nice to know that there's another community out there that's kind of been through the issues that we've dealt with, and it kind of acts like a roadmap for us, because honestly, prior to this conversation, I... I had no idea if there was any way to go about this. Yeah, and honestly, I saw so many parallels between how B-Funk handled hip-hop tutorials and how they handled Bunger tutorials. I think the whole situation was a little interesting and requires further conversation. Yeah. Um, throughout this conversation, I just, honestly, I, I kept forgetting he Castro was talking about hip-hop tutorials and not Bunger. Because, I mean, listen, Shivani and Jaya, you know, they're not Bhangra dancers. They're not from the community. They're not from the circuit. Yet, even though they live in LA, like they, there's LA folk arts, there's DRP, there's the UCLA, there's Bruin Bhangra, uh, there's BK, there's BK's Academy, I think it's called Dream Dance Studios or something. And like this, and that's just like LA area. There's plenty more throughout California. And they didn't reach out to any of them to lead in any way the way Tanish did. Like, I know they hear the feedback about their poor form. I, like, I know they hear all this stuff, but they ignore it. And I know, personally, like, they've had Bunger dancers reach out to them and say, like, hey, yo, like, you need some help? Do you want, like, we can we can help you all out with this, this, and that. And they've also ignored that as well. It's generally just kind of frustrating to hear that and see that. And they're so clearly exploiting and monetizing Bunger like this and never apologizing 
let alone like acknowledging it. Yeah, I mean, BFUG has been, it's frustrating the, the somewhat lack of conversation or lack of discussion after the fact. And, you know, that's led into a little bit of fiasco, both, I think, across both the street dance style and the, uh, or the, streets, the street culture and the street dance culture, as well as with Bugger. Um These <sighs> tutorials have given us a platform to talk about things. Um, that I think before people weren't really interested or talking about or maybe too scared to discuss uh, specifically around kind of the cultural elements of what makes a good uh, what makes a good dancer and what makes someone qualified to teach which has come out very interestingly both from a street dance perspective but also from a bunger perspective um, and this hasn't really been a public conversation before and hopefully this kind of at, forces us um, more generally to have that conversation and be a little bit more honest with ourselves. You talked a little bit about this too, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, like I, I posted a blog on my like personal website. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But um, honestly, Ram, uh, overall, what are you hoping are the consequences like of this podcast coming out like what are you hoping to see happen? Yeah, consequences seems like such a negative thing. But you know, I, I I don't know if it all needs to be negative, right? It's It's got to be more, the circuit's got to discuss this. People have to discuss this. People with money, people with privilege should be discussing some of the things that we've talked about on this podcast. Um, you know, what I'm really hoping for is that that discussion leads into, I think, some changes overall. And we really kind of stay away from people making bold statements on social media or kind of yelling at each other or posturing. Because ultimately, that never leads to anything actually getting done. Yeah, I mean, it's social media and it's bunger dance. In the bunger circuit, there's going to be some level of social <laughs> posturing. But um, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, fair. It'll happen a little. And, and maybe you're right. Maybe it's maybe it is good to have a little bit of it. But I also I also want Defunct to do a better job of addressing this. I don't want to see, you know, continued deflection. I don't I don't think it's. You know, I think with the position that the team is in, that the BFUNK team is in, there's an opportunity to make a strong statement and um, be open and embrace, I think, the cultural elements of both styles of dancing, um, as well as, you know, address some of the, the points around it without having to get upset and take this very personally. There's, I, I think, has been, it seems like there's been some kind of like snarky comments or people have generally tried to brush it off. Um, but there's an opportunity here, I think, to not only continue the conversation, but try to make some of these things right. Yeah, like, honestly, it's disappointing. I, I don't want to seem like Brown Uncle G, just like, ah, I'm disappointed you beta. But when multiple people from multiple communities, from multiple perspectives are calling you out, saying like, hey, you know, maybe you should have done this better. Hey, yo, like, maybe you shouldn't have done this. Like, but like literally zero acknowledgement of any issues, any faults whatsoever publicly. It's frustrating. It's disappointing. As a fellow brown South Asian creator, I kind of hoped that we were better than this. But in this situation, it's not. And I hope it changes. Yeah. Well, there's an opportunity and we should be optimistic that there are always going to be, that there always will be conversations around this. And, uh, you know, I think we just, I, I think we need to build a platform to have a conversation and hopefully we'll do that with this podcast and, and afterwards. 
Um, for those of you who are listening, and if you like what you heard, the best way you can support the show and, and the overall podcast, and, and also this content and this conversation, is to share it with a friend. Text the link, DM them a clip, post it on your story, whatever way gets the word out there. Thank you again for listening. See you all after our next competition for a fall season recap. All right. Much love. See you Thank you for listening to another episode of the Bungarda podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser, as that really helps others find the podcast. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all of them at the Bungarda Pod. If you want to know what else is going on in the podcast world, sign up for our newsletter and join our Discord server to get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else. There will be links to all of those in the show notes.